Hello, everyone. This is Father Tim McDonald, the pastor of Queen Lemaracios Meadow, coming to you from the parish office on Sunday, November the 13th, the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. We had some technical difficulties with our live stream today, and I understand that it cut out just before the homily. And yet today's message was one that was very important and one that I think is very necessary that we all contemplate and listen to. And so I'm using the wonders of modern technology to try to get the homily out there once more <clears throat> on all of our platforms. And so I'm going to read the gospel, and then I'm going to give you a version of the remarks that I made earlier today at all of the weekend masses. The gospel for the 33rd Sunday is taken from the 21st chapter of Luke, verses 5 to 19. While some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones and votive offerings, Jesus said, All that you see here, the days will come when there will not be left a stone upon another stone that will not be thrown down. Then they asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? And what sign will there be when all these things are about to happen? He answered, See that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has come. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first, but it will not immediately be the end. Then, he said to them, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines and plagues from place to place, and awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. Before all this happens, however, they will seize and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and to prisons, and they will have you led before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to your giving testimony. Remember, you are not to prepare your defense beforehand, for I myself shall give you a wisdom in speaking <clears throat> that all your adversaries will be powerless to resist or refute. You will even be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair in your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So often we are called upon to preach and to spread the good news of the gospel, and yet the things that Jesus just described in Luke chapter 21, that doesn't sound like good news. It sounded like everything is coming to an end, an epic failure, and a crushing defeat of his mission. The temple's going to be destroyed. He's going to be destroyed. We're going to be hated by all because of his name. We're going to be persecuted. Some are going to be thrown in prison. Some are going to be put to death. This doesn't sound like good news at all. And yet if it's coming from the mouth of Jesus, who is God, then somehow it must all be part of God's plan, a plan that we as mere mortals cannot understand. But yes, Jesus looked upon the temple and he saw that it was going to be destroyed. Let's remember that in Luke chapter 21, it's already the middle of Holy Week. It's almost time for the Last Supper. Jesus is soon going to be arrested, put on trial, scourged, and taken out to the cross. When he was making his way up to Jerusalem for Palm Sunday, he looked upon the temple facade and he wept. He wept because he knew that the temple was going to be destroyed. Jesus had a very, very special relationship with that temple. 
Let's keep in mind that for all eternity, Jesus has existed in heaven above. He gave all that up when he came from heaven to earth on a rescue mission, a good shepherd who had laid down his life for his lambs. But during the time that Jesus was on earth, there was nowhere that he felt closer to God than in that temple at Jerusalem. All the Israelites called it the Shekinah, a Hebrew word which means the dwelling place of God. As long as the Ark of the Covenant was in that temple, God's dwelling was with his people. And it was the only place where Jewish people could offer worship and sacrifice to God. Synagogues were only houses of prayer and study. The idea that that building that had stood in one form or another for 900 years and took 50 years to build with columns rising 50 feet into the sky was going to be taken down to the point where there would not be stone left upon stone, that was unfathomable. The Jewish people didn't know what they would do without a temple. As Catholics, we can go to any church in any country on any continent and have the mass. But for those who were Jewish in Jesus' time, there was only one temple where you could worship God, the creature reaching out to the creator. It was only in the temple that you could offer sacrifice. And now that's going to be taken from them. <clears throat> Jesus wasn't making this up. And these events would come to pass. It was 40 years, 40 years after his resurrection, right around the year 70 AD, when after nearly 150 years of Roman occupation, the Jewish people at that time rose up against their captors. There was a rebellion, an insurrection, and Rome, the capital of the empire, they didn't like people rising up in any province of any occupied territory. And thus it was that many Roman legions were sent to squash this rebellion. And whereas before, when other empires and kingdoms had invaded Jerusalem, yes, they spoiled the temple and defiled it, but they didn't rip it down. And it was always at some point rededicated or reconsecrated. In this case, completely destroyed. Jerusalem was burned. Hundreds of thousands of people died. Hundreds of thousands more were enslaved. Everyone else was dispersed from the land. And they would stay gone for nearly 2,000 years until after the Holocaust and World War II, when the newly formed United Nations decided to repatriate the Jewish people to Israel. The only problem is they didn't ask the Palestinians for their opinion about that. Thus, the conflicts of the last 70 years. But in any event, Jesus, he would miss the temple because there was nowhere on earth that he felt closer to God. Since he had left heaven, that was his contact point. Ever since he had left heaven, Jesus wasn't homesick. He was heaven sick. He longed to return to the Father's house. But it went much further than that. The temple wasn't the only thing that was going to be destroyed. Jesus was about to die. He said those who followed him were also subject to persecution, hatred, trial, prison. Some of you, he said, will be put to death. Once again, how is that the good news? How can that be part of God's plan? Well, as far as the temple, it could be destroyed and Jesus could be destroyed. The temple would never be rebuilt, but Jesus would be risen on the third day. And then they wouldn't need a temple because they would be able to worship God in the flesh just as we do in the Mass. Every time we see bread and wine become Jesus' body and blood. And so there is that one sacrifice, the Lamb worthy to be slain, that set the world free and changed the trajectory of sinners forever. But so many people listened to what Jesus was saying, and they said, how can this be God's plan? I don't understand. Why should I have to suffer? Jesus, why should you have to suffer? So many people want to believe that if you have faith, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. 
Jesus had more faith in the tip of his finger than all of us have put together, and yet he suffered more than all of us put together. Jesus' faith didn't keep him from suffering. Jesus suffered because he had faith and a deep, deep, profound desire to do the Father's will. He was willing to go to the cross, but way back in Luke chapter 9, when there was the first prediction of the Passion, Jesus said, whoever wishes to follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He was leading us to Calvary and ultimately to victory. But we must be willing to endure our fair share of hardships for the sake of the gospel. We all must walk the way of the cross with and for Jesus. We don't walk it alone and we don't walk in vain. We carry those crosses far faithfully and well for the glory, honor, and praise of God. And one might say, well, the way is too far and these crosses are too many and they are too heavy and they're giving me splinters. But whether those crosses play splinters on your hands or on your heart, every splinter from the crosses we bear becomes another jewel in the crown of righteousness that we'll wear in the kingdom of heaven when our suffering is over and when our victory is assured. So many people in these last days have been wondering, is this all part of God's plan, especially with regard to the elections on Tuesday, November the 8th? and the support of Proposal 3, something we fought like heaven to prevent. People have been asking me for days, if all of us were praying and fasting and saying the rosary for 54 days, how is it that this proposal could have passed? Why isn't God listening to our prayers? Why didn't he answer us? One of the reasons, of course, is this. We don't all pray with one voice. We are not all seeking the same things. When the dust settles and the postmortem is done about what went wrong in the effort to defeat Proposal 3, I fear that we're going to find out that more than half of the Catholics in Michigan voted in support to Proposal 3, sadly, including members of our own parish, even people listening to this message. If we don't speak with one voice, Jesus already told us the problem. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Until we all sing from the same hymnal and are reading from the same book and following the place in that book, namely the Word of God, the Bible, then we will continue to get these mixed results because there is no unity in the church. And that was one of Jesus' greatest desires. At Gethsemane, later that same night after this passage in the Gospel, when Jesus was praying in the garden, sweating tears of blood, what was his greatest desire? You can find it for yourself. In John chapter 17, verse 21, he prayed that they all may be one. Jesus' prayer for unity. Without unity, we will continue to see things like Proposal 3 slip right through our fingers. But all hope is not lost. Even though Proposal 3 passed by a rather wide margin throughout the state of Michigan, that is not the case in Jackson County. At least by the last report that I saw on the county's website from the county clerk's office, Jackson voters, the majority, voted no. 51% in Jackson County voted no on Proposal 3. 49% voted yes. I would like to think that's down to the efforts of people who were willing to knock on doors, call phones, and speak to whomever about this most sensitive, political, and controversial issue. In Jackson County, 12,000 doors were knocked on by volunteers like you as part of the effort sponsored by Protect Life Michigan. Protect Life Michigan estimates that in the whole state, 125,000 doors were knocked on in the days leading up to the election. 12,000 in Jackson, 125,000 in the state of Michigan. That's 
10% of the doors knocked on statewide were right here in Jackson County. We're not even in the top 10 of counties by population. And so for 10% of the total to have happened right here in our neighborhoods, that's because of people like you. And that's one positive takeaway that we draw from the Fight Like Heaven campaign is there are people that got outside of their comfort zone, people that up until now may have been too timid to even make the sign of the cross and say grace in a restaurant. God forbid somebody should see that we're a Catholic. Some of these same people were willing to go up to doors where they didn't know who they'd encounter, risk having that door slammed to their face, pick up the phone and call someone. Maybe they'd get yelled at. Maybe they'd be hung up on. But that's intentional missionary discipleship. That is people willing to give witness. And that's exactly what Jesus called us to do, to give witness. In Greek, what is that? Martyrdom. Jesus gave witness to the faith with his life. Ten of the twelve apostles gave witness to the faith with their life. Twenty-five of the first thirty-one popes are martyrs for the faith. And as bloody as the first centuries of Christianity were, there are more martyrs who gave witness to the faith in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries combined. This effort to fight like heaven to defeat Proposal 3 and the fact that it passed anyway reminds us that this world is hostile to the gospel. This isn't heaven. We're not home yet. But we would rather continue to fighting the right battles and lose than to fight the wrong battles and win. Why? Because Jesus has already won the war. Jesus has already conquered the world. He has already won the war over sin, Satan, and death. We have to do what he instructed his disciples to do as he was preparing to go up to the cross. We have to persevere. We have to continue to trust in the Lord before, above, and beyond all things. We must not give in to discouragement or despair. We must continue to offer our prayers and to be persistent in doing so. But something very important to keep in mind when we ask that question, why didn't God answer our prayer about Proposal 3, is this. God is not confined by space and time the way we are. God is everything. God is everywhere. He breathes stars out of his mouth, according to the book of Psalms. Everything comes from him. Everything belongs to him, including space and time. But when it comes to our timetable, when we pray about something, our first Pope, St. Peter, had something instructive to offer. In the letters he wrote in the New Testament before his martyrdom, in chapter two, excuse me, chapter three of his second letter, verse eight, he said, for God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. If it took us 49 years to overturn Roe versus Wade, then the fight like heaven campaign against abortion without limit or restriction in Michigan is in its infancy. It has only just begun, and we will continue to fight. Just days ago, we honored our veterans on Veterans Day, those who loved liberty more than life and risked it all. We don't know them all, but we owe them all. And as we honored our veterans here at Queens, I played uh, a video, uh, some inspirational clips that included some words from the first inaugural address of President John F. Kennedy, our first Catholic president in January of 1961. So many people remember that speech for that famous phrase, ask not what your country can do for you, but for what you can do for your country. But there was something else hidden in that speech that I believe is inspirational and motivational when it comes to us and the need to not lose hope in the face of Proposal 3. The late President John Kennedy said this, let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill that we should pay any price, bear any burden, meet 
any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. This much we pledge and more. We need that same persistence, that same perseverance, that same determination when it comes to waging the battle for life, to continue to preach the gospel of life in the face of the culture of death. And now that we know that we have so many people that are willing to knock on doors and use the phone to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in defense of life, well, we've got foot soldiers and an army of compassion. And who knows when we may choose to draw upon their efforts in the future to fight this and other great causes. And so, my friends, for Jesus, it was darkest just before the dawn, and then the great light shines. So let us never give up. Let us never give in. Let us only give it to God, because to him be the glory, the honor, and the praise forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.